Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. Hebrews chapter 12, and if you are turning, you can also turn to the book of Matthew chapter 14. It's okay. I have slides on the screen. Um, If you didn't bring your Bible, it is okay. God will judge you for that. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just want to say this too. I, um, I, wrote, I brought a couple of resources for you. I, um, I, wrote, I, I write books. I write Bible studies and I take people through my Bible studies every January. And we take about 25,000 people from around the world from my kitchen table. And we literally like teach. And so one of the books that I wrote was called I Do Hard Things, A Bible Study to Breaking Free of Fear and Pain. Do you know that pain has a voice? And the voice of pain says, do whatever you need to do to make it stop. And did you know that when you are in pain, you don't dream, you survive. And you have to have an ability to get out of pain. And that's not just checking out of life. There's actually a process to climbing out of pits of pain. And so I wrote the steps that I did. I was diagnosed with postpartum depression three times. I went into a doctor's office and to a counselor's office. And I sat there for two years and walked through postpartum depression. And I did it three times. And at one point I told God, I said, God, I did the first time when I had, I was a minister and we didn't even use the word depression in in church back in the day. Like it was like a really not a good word and um, still not a good word, but you know, and I, I said, God, why would you allow me to go through it three times? I got the lesson the first time. You ever told God that? Like, why are we doing this again? I, I did the lesson. I did it well. And he said, Havila, if I had delivered you the first time, I would have given you deliverance. That would have been it. But because I've given you deliverance three times, you know, have a roadmap to help deliver a lot of other people. I've given you a strategy and a path. And that's what this book is about. It's my path to climbing out of depression, anxiety, and fear. And so that's that. Is anyone's birthday today? Is anyone's birthday? Does anyone want to be born? Do we have a, do we have a pregnant woman who would like to give birth right now? <laughs> okay. Would anyone like this book? All right, your, your hand went up first, the black. Yep, you know what? She's fast, she's fast. There you go, God bless you. All right, here we go. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, whatever, And now he's there at the place of honor right alongside God. He could put up with anything along the way because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Let's pray. Lord, help. Amen. Today I want to teach about a man named Peter. 
Now, when you're teaching scripture, often you can teach multiple ways. And one of the methods is you can teach from a moment of scripture, like David and Goliath or Esther and the king. And then you can teach through the movement of scripture. You know, this is the Israelites and where they left um, Egypt and how they got their promised land or Jesus, you know, the representation of Moses in the, in the Old Testament and then Jesus in the New Testament. And then you can also teach from the mystery of scripture, which is here's something that I don't fully understand, but I have some truth to it. And I think I can help explain some of this. And today what I want to do is teach through a movement of scripture. And I want to use the man, Peter, his life to touch on on something that I think is really relevant to us today. Like, I hope you leave here not just being encouraged and excited, but I hope that you leave here with a tangible thing that says, I can do tomorrow better because I learned this today and I'm empowered to do it. And so if we look at Peter's life, and I love this scripture in Hebrews because it basically says, if you want to be able to get through anything in your life, you're going to have to have a compelling future. You have to have a compelling future. Do you know that statistically, if you find someone who is depressed or somebody who is, has ideation about um, leaving the earth, um, that the doctor or the psychiatrist or the psychologist will ask them questions. And one of the questions they'll ask is, so do you want to get married? Or do you want have, do you have a career? Or is there a vacation that you want to go on? Or is there something that you're looking forward to? And they're not doing that because those are just casual questions. What they're looking for is, do you see yourself in the future? Because if you can see yourself in the future, then you are safer in making it there. And, and this is what the whole thing is about today, is the ability to see where you need to be looking so that you can actually make it through things that seem unbearable or painful or hard. And so I love this because what he's saying in Scripture is, if you can see your future, you can live an abundant and present life well. If you can't see your future, you will only live your day-to-day -day and you'll wonder why life is hard. So if you look at Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 14, and it says this, immediately Jesus made the disciples get out of the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Verse 23, chapter 14, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried out and said in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage in his eye, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out on the water. Peter's an idiot. He said, come. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward him. But when the wind, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried, Lord, save me. Verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, you, you little idiot. No, I'm kidding. He doesn't say that. You of little faith. Why did you doubt? Verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. So let me give you context about this passage. Jesus is in his three years of earthly ministry. Now remember, Jesus is fully God and fully man. It, he, he was not living in a bubble. He was on the earth living the exact life that we are living. And he is the perfect representation of how to live 
uh, for with heaven, in heaven, and live in eternity with God while on the earth. And so he shows us, he's got a strategy on how we're supposed to live. And so Jesus is now gathering people and he is feeding thousands of people. I mean, he is, there's miracles being, being uh, happening and healings. And I mean, it's, it's a high time. And then he gets word, tragic word, that his cousin has been beheaded on his behalf, which was very, very, it was just heart-wrenching for Jesus. And we see that Jesus tells the disciples, you guys go ahead, I need to go be alone. How many of you love that? The Bible doesn't hide grief. He actually takes a minute in scripture to say, sometimes you just gotta be alone because this stuff is hard. And so he takes him and Jesus goes up to talk to his father and the disciples go on ahead into the boat. And when the disciples are in the boat, all of a sudden they hit this storm. Now this storm is a very serious storm. Very serious. In fact, uh, commentaries will tell you it's about nine hours long of this storm just being in, I mean, just hitting that boat, wind and waves, and they think they're going to die. Now, these men are not wimps. These men are not like, well, you know, they, they like to fish on the weekends. I'll bring my fishing pole and get some fish. You know, it'll be great. Or I just want to go on the boat. It'll be nice. No, no. Some of these men on this boat are vocational fishermen, which mean that they fish for a living, and it would have been actually their family legacy. Their grandfather would have had a boat. Their uncles would have had a boat. Their dad would. They would have grown up on the water. They were the kids that smelled like fish when they went to school. That was them. And so when they get in this boat and they're faced with this storm, this is the big one. This is the one that they're like, okay, remember when we talked about the big one? This is it. We're going to die. For nine hours, they are using every strategy they know to keep the boat afloat, to keep them alive, and they think they're going to die. They're losing it. They're delirious. And then Jesus goes walking out to them on the water. Now, let me ask you a question. Who invited the disciples into the boat? Jesus. Jesus was the one that said, get in the boat and I'll meet you. So you're telling me that I can face the hardest storm of my life, the storm that I don't know if I'm going to make it through, all because I obeyed God? So you're telling me that my theology around when life is hard, you're doing something wrong is not actually biblical? That there are certain times in life where Jesus says, I want you to go here. I want you to do this. I want you to be about this. And we do it. And then we're smack dab in the middle of a storm. And we think I'm going to die here. And we are in the will of God. Isn't that terrible? (laughs) Okay, just for me. All right, awesome. It's, I mean, what is going on? Have you ever asked God that? What is going on? Like I did everything you asked me to do. And now I'm at this Terrible season, like, what am I supposed to do now? And then Jesus comes walking out to them, and Peter yells, it's a ghost. You know, they're terrified, it's a ghost. And then Peter, who's an idiot, says, hey, if it's you, tell me to come out and walk on the water. And so Jesus says, it's me. And so Peter climbs out of the boat, and he begins to walk towards Jesus. And then it says, as he looks around, the wind and the waves, as he sees all the chaos that's going on around him, come on, all the inflation, all the political environment, all of the things that are constantly around us, the wind and the waves, as he begins to look around, he begins to sink, the Bible says. But then he he cries out in terror and Jesus grabs him and says, I got you. That's, that's, That's in the Greek, I got you. Why is this important? 
Can I ask you a question? It's not a trick question. I hate when pastors ask trick questions. You're like, the devil. They're like, it's God. You're like, dang it. You ever know what I mean? When they ask like, what? and then you're like, I didn't know I was coming to be quizzed. I just, I was just trying to interact. And every time I interact, I'm in trouble. So this is important. I'm not going to trick you. Um, was Jesus teaching Peter to walk on water? No. Good. That's the right answer. No. If Jesus was teaching Peter to walk on water, then we would have seen it all throughout scripture. We would have seen us. I mean, could you imagine if Pastor Jude was like, hey, we're going to have water baptism and then we're going to have the walking on water class. It's incredible. It makes lake days amazing. Like that's our, that's like our evangelistic thing. It's like, oh, you go to a city church. Yeah, you guys walk on water. I love it. What a cool thing, right? No, but no, they would never see it again. So why is it so important that Peter walks on water to Jesus in the middle of this storm? Why? Because Jesus was teaching Peter a lesson. Jesus was teaching Peter about focus. He was teaching Peter about gaze. He was teaching Peter what was going to be the thing that was going to sustain him in the midst of battles, in the midst of wind and rain and storms. This is the thing that's going to keep you afloat, hon. This is the thing that's going to keep you where you need to be. And so here he is, he's walking towards Jesus. And when he starts to look other places, he starts to sink. And I think God did that on purpose because he wanted him to understand that if he looks at everything else around him, he will sink under the weight of what is happening around him. Can I just be honest? I'm a California girl. I can talk to you like a Californian. I go to the Midwest. I go to the East Coast. I go around the world. I'm with, I'm with you guys. Like, I live in California. I'm paying your gas prices. Like I am, do you know what I mean? Like I didn't just fly. Like I get this. I get it. California's crazy. I said California used to be a vacation. Now it's a mandate. You do. You feel like it's a mandate. Like I could exit. But I, have, I believe God's called California to be a place of light, to be a place of rescue, to be a place. And I know that the Jesus movement, the origin of the Jesus movement started here. I believe that where California goes, so goes the United States and so goes the world. We are at the critical point of where it happened. So it's no wonder that we are faced with storms. It's no wonder that it's hard. Because when it's hard, it actually brings out what we believe. And so this is what we see right here so clearly. He teaches him this lesson. He says, keep my eyes on your face. Keep your eyes on my face, Peter. You're going to need this in the days to come. There will be many storms ahead of you. If you keep looking at me, you will be able to walk on many waters. You see, what was the first distraction that Peter had to learn about? Fear and doubt. In order for you to be a believer, in order for you to be a Christian, in order for you to be a man of God or a woman of God, you have to understand that fear is coming to take you out. Doubt is coming to take you out. I remember as a, at a young age, I was the girl that was trying to hide at school and trying to hide at church. I came from a family that was very intellectual and they were achievers. My grandfather was an Italian immigrant who came over to Staten Island, uh, lived in a one bedroom apartment in New York City, uh, took, went through law school and ended up becoming a Supreme Court justice of New York State for four terms. His five kids all became very successful and then radically got saved, gave their lives to Christ, and then turned around and began to build movements of missions and ministries that have reached the world all around us. And that's awesome if that's what you're good at. 
But in third grade, I was taken to the back of my school to an office where I was met with a woman who asked me questions. And by the time I got home that night, my parents sat me down and said, Havila, they've diagnosed you with dyslexia, reading and comprehension issues, and ADHD. And so it's going to be hard. And we just want you to know that we're here. Well, that doesn't sound like a big deal when you're in third grade, but when you go into eighth grade and you can't read, and when you go into a sophomore year and you can't read your own handwriting, and you're terrified that somebody will find out that you are illiterate and uneducated and you cannot fake it, by the time I got into my life, I had already felt like I was a mess. So I got into the car one night with my sister to, a, to go to a party with some guys, and while we're in the backseat of this car, the music is playing. And all of a sudden, I hear the voice of God, not audibly, but like that clear voice that comes out of nowhere. And it's something you're not thinking about. And it says, Havala, what are you doing? And it was like it woke me up. And I went, and I heard him say, you got to get out of here. You can't be here. And I remember I, I, my heart began to pound. I began to feel like I need to do something. And so I asked the guys in the front, can you turn the music down? So they turn, you know, the 90s R&B music down. And then I just say audibly without any, I didn't even know what I was going to say. I just shouted out, I have a call of God on my life. <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. There was like no piano player. There was no pastor. It was terrible. And as I say it, I realize like this is the point of no return. Like you can't be like, just kidding. Let's go to the party. Like you can't. And as I say it, I begin to cry. And then I realize, oh my gosh, you see, I have an identical twin sister, a mere twin. 25% of identical twins are mere twins. I'm left-handed. She's right-handed. Our calics are on opposite sides. She is gorgeous. I mean, just stunning. I'm kidding. We are so similar that, like, we were married six months apart. Our first babies are nine days apart. Our second babies are three weeks apart. And our third babies are three months apart. They all have the same dad. No, I'm kidding. That's inappropriate. That's, that's inappropriate. You needed it, just a little. Her husband has, he's a big British guy, six foot three, almost, you know, over 200 pounds. And he has hugged me and I have yelled, Daniel, it's Havilah, not Deborah. And please let me go. I get pregnant very quick. Like, please. In Jesus' name. Why am I saying that? Well, I look over at Deborah and she's crying. The, the spirit of God is in this car. And I look out the window and I realize that these guys have taken us home without us asking. There was just like a, we get out of the car, the awkward get out of the car. And I go into my room and I kneel down by my bed and I just say, God, I am not much. I'm young. I'm 17. I'm a girl. I don't, I mean, I don't know if that's good or bad in your world. And um, I have no special gifts or graces. In fact, I'm pretty, pretty dumb. But if you can use anyone, you can use me. And I didn't have the heavens open. I didn't see an angel. That's the time when you kind of look around like this. An angel would really solidify this night. <laughs> I didn't get anything. And here's what I learned. It can feel like nothing happened, yet everything has happened. Because when you use your mouth and you believe it in your heart, it's as good as done. And heaven begins to move on your behalf. So when I hold up my 13th book... It is a miracle of what God can do with a life. And so here's what I want you to understand. Fear and doubt, you'll have to overcome it, but you cannot overcome fear and doubt in your head. You have to overcome fear and doubt in your action. 
So fear and doubt can't be like, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm, I'm going to finally feel like I'm not afraid to say something. You have to say something in fear. I, I'm going to be generous and I'm going to be, I'm going to give. You have to give in fear. You can't just wait till it just gets away from you. You have to do it anyway. So the second part I want you to look at is Matthew 26. I'm not going to have you turn there. But the second kind of moment in uh, Peter's life is, you know, Jesus's tone is changing. It's going from feeding thousands and, oh, bring your friends. Everyone's eating to, if you drink my blood and you eat my flesh and you could imagine people are thinking, honey, go get the kids. This is getting weird. This is not good. And then he starts saying, I'm going to be leaving. And one of you is going to betray me. And Peter doesn't know what's going on. And finally, the night of the crucifixion, they go to this garden to pray. Jesus leaves them to pray. And in fact, it says they fell asleep, not because they were apathetic. They fell asleep because of their suffering. Do you know we can fall asleep in our spiritual lives because of grief? It's not always apathy. When, when our heart is heavy, we can fall asleep. And so he comes to wake them up. And when he wakes them up, all of a sudden, the, the soldiers come into the room, into the garden. And Judas is there, one of the 12. And he kisses Jesus. And when he kisses Jesus, Peter is irate. He takes his sword and he cuts one of the soldier's ear off. Just slices it. He's like, game on. Come on. This is a bloodbath. Let's do it. Garden of Gethsemane. Come on. I'm all here. And Jesus lovingly walks over. Could you imagine? Grabs the bloody ear. Puts it on the man's face. Like just, I, these are the videos I'm going to check out in heaven. He takes the, takes the ear and he places it. And then he moves his hand. I'm sure there's still blood on his shirt. It's completely healed. And then he looks at Peter. Could you imagine like every parent, like Peter, Peter, Peter. Sweetheart, that's not what I'm doing. We're not going to win this by being violent or being aggressive or jumping into injustice as like, let's go to war over injustice. He said, I have a different way of solving this. Here's what I also have found. We have a vulnerability to being distracted by injustice. I'm going to say that again. We as a culture, Californians, Americans, we have a vulnerability to believing that injustice is our mandate rather than what God is asking us to do. And if we elevate injustice, we may solve it for a moment, but God doesn't want to just solve it for a moment. He wants to end injustice. See, he had a plan to eradicate injustice, to say, no one's going to hell. Everyone gets heaven. If you let me do this, we can battle it out and I might live, but listen, I will not save the world. And so here's what's really important. In a culture that we're in right now, there are things that are unjust that are going to get our attention. We should fight injustice. We should fight hunger. We should fight abuse. We should, yes, a thousand percent. We don't stand back and go, you know, God, do what you want to do. No, he wants us to get, come on, rise up and do what we got to do. But it cannot be a distraction to actually seeing the one who wins the war. If we become the hero of the story, we've missed the point. He is the hero of the story. We do what he says. We act as he acts. That is the point. So injustice. Some of you, you start battles and then ask God to bless it. You start litigation and then ask God, like, do we pray for me? Because I just need to win this. And I'm just asking, did God ask you to start it? Are you thinking I deserve? And you know what we deserve? We deserve hell. And God's grace has given us heaven and his forgiveness. Okay, lastly is this. Peter goes from the garden, Jesus heals, major lesson. Then they take Jesus, they drag him through the streets, put a thorn of crowns on his head. He's being killed like he had done something 
the most horrific thing, and he was innocent. And Peter's sitting at the foot of the cross, and they are gambling for Jesus' clothes. And someone goes, hey, weren't you with him? And Peter goes, no, no, no. A little bit while later, someone goes, no, no, I, weren't you with him? Peter goes, no. Now imagine, could you imagine if you had officers come in this room and they grabbed Pastor June and Pastor Becky and said, anybody who goes to city church is going to be prosecuted. You'd be like, you know, I wouldn't call it my church. I mean, I would say like we show up every once in a while, but like <laughs> church, merch, like really, right? And so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this girl finally says, you were with him. She calls him out and he curses her. I don't know that man, curses. And then all of a sudden the rooster crows, which was the promise that said, you will deny me three times when the rooster crows, Jesus had said to him. And this is a point when we want to go, okay, Peter, let's pack it up. Let's give you a good Christian burial. You need to leave. Like you've messed up a lot of things in scripture. You're walking on water and you're, you're like an idiot. You're, you're cutting off guys' ears. You're denying Jesus at the cross, the most critical moment. Like, Peter, wrap it up, buddy. Peter's not done, though. God's not done with Peter. In fact, what happens is Jesus is killed. He's put into a grave. The Bible says that on the third day he resurrects. We have actual historical evidence that he was resurrected. He walked out of that grave. And it's not just a faith-based idea. It's actually historical. People that are atheists that have said this is the evidence that he is not there. And all of a sudden... The church gathers and they keep hearing. And we sung about it today. Worship was beautiful. We sung about it today. There's the Holy Spirit. It's coming. It's like a dove. It's like a presence. It's an upper room. We're singing about it today. And this is what we're talking about in scripture. All of a sudden they're singing and they're praying. And all of a sudden the Spirit of God fills the room. And it fills it with such an evidence that there is something supernatural happening. There is, the, there is a supernatural reality that's hitting the earth that is undeniable that thousands of people gather to figure out what is going on. Aren't those people the ones that were with that crazy guy, Jesus? And now they're like having this supernatural encounter. I mean, it's like good. It's so good they're gathering. And then I could just imagine after a while, they look at they're like, hey, I think somebody should go talk to these people. There's like thousands of people that are wondering what, what we're doing. Who would like to go? And Peter goes, I'll go. And somebody could have said, Peter, you sunk in the wave in the winds. Like you cut the guy's ear off. You denied Jesus. Like take a, take a seat, buddy. You, you need to not play this inning. But instead... Peter gets out and listen, I could just imagine this. I'm almost done. I could just imagine this. Peter having to ignore his failure, his shame, his wrong motives, his fear, all the things. He had to walk out in front of this crowd that could still kill him, that could still hurt him, that could still label him. He had to get out in front of them and he had to say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He begins to lead the first historical revival, 3,000 people come to Christ that day. And in fact, you are sitting in this room because of that moment in scripture. That's why you're here is because of that moment. Here's the cool part. I can imagine the wind and the waves. Peter's got his eyes on Jesus. I could imagine the injustice. He saw Jesus killed in front of him and yet he's looking at Jesus. He saw that people could still hurt him and many of which the disciples would give their lives as martyrs. It wasn't like they weren't gonna die. 
but he had his gaze set so clearly. He saw the finish line. He knew that heaven was his destination and that earth was a momentary thing, but that heaven and eternity was the only place that he was really created to live. Let me tell you something. This earth is uncomfortable and it feels broken and it feels like, ah, what's going on? Because you were not created for this place. You were created for a heavenly experience to live with your creator God. And the Bible says when we get home to heaven, listen, there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more abuse, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more diabetes, no more, no more drugs, no more addiction, none of that. We will be free, free, free. And we will be with the one that created us. We won't have just these naked angel babies running around and we're like, this is terrible. No, 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 no. It's gonna be like, I'm finally home and it's gonna be everything. But you can get your eyes on him right now and begin to walk towards eternity without fear, without shame, without anxiety, without preserving yourself, knowing it doesn't really matter all the things around me because I have the safest gaze, which is the face of Jesus. Will you stand with me today for a minute? Thank you, Jesus. Hmm. I don't know if you can feel it, but I just, I feel his presence in the room right now. I feel his, I think he likes being talked about. I think he likes being looked at. I think he knows that the only way we get to be powerful on the earth is to see him. I can't, we can't solve all everyone's problems. We can't make everything go away. But what we can say is there is a hope and his name is Jesus. So I wanna ask you just to close your eyes for a moment. I just, it's more about focus than anything. I just want you to stay still for just a minute. I promise it won't be long. I want you to close your eyes because this is where we get to hear a lot of things, laugh about things, but this is where we get to activate what God has done with us. And this is where we don't play church. This is where we actually become authentic followers of Jesus. We do what we're, we want to do. We, we show up in the way that we're supposed to show up. And so today I wanna to ask you a question. I'm not gonna have you do anything else but answer this question. If you have never given your life to Jesus, you've never publicly acknowledged that He is your Lord and Savior, that you are with Him. You've never had a backseat moment that said, I'm following God. And maybe maybe here people think you love God and at school, you, something else, or at work, something else. But you're like, I wanna be the same person in every environment. And I've never publicly said, I'm with Him. And I'm, I'm wanna, I wanna do that. I wanna try that. I, I'd like to give my life to Him. I, I wanna bring all my shame and my pain and my blame and my anxiety and brokenness and all of it. I want to bring it to him. I need to exchange it for some things today. If you've never done that before and you would like to, all I'm going to ask you to do is, pub, is, just, is to courageously just lift your hand and wave at me. Say, that's me. That's me. I would like to do that. Good. Anybody else? Good. Anybody else? Lots of hands. I love that. Anybody else? With your, with your head bowed for a minute, some of you today this is your coming home moment. Like you served God. There was a moment when you knew he was driving the car, but like you've, you lost your way. He's now in the car, but he's not driving. And if I was to look at your phone, look at your relationships, look at the things that are happening in your life, I would find evidence that he is not Lord of your life. He's, he's in the car, but he's not leading. 
and you want to come home, you're realizing that you're on a road that is not going to lead to life. You know that you are, you are making decisions that are dangerous. You are, you are stuck in addictions. You are, or maybe you're just playing church and you realize, oh my gosh, I think I'm stuck in apathy or I'm stuck in just a, a lack of actual passion for him and I want to come back. If that's you and you would like to return with every eye closed for a minute, I want you to courageously wave at me and say, that's me. Yep. Many of us have done this before. I love that. Anybody else? I love that. Anybody else? Yep. And one last question. Some of you today, you love God, but man, you're distracted. It's the bill that came in this week, or it's the, it's the conversation in the car with your spouse on the way here. It's your teenager that just... You just feel like, I, I am just so fixated on my boss. I'm so fixated on my health. I'm so fixated on the culture, economy. I'm so fixated on everything. And today I'm realizing I got to get my eyes back on Jesus. I got to get my gaze set. If that is you and you are saying, I'm all in and I want to do that. And every part of me that is not, I want to surrender today. If that's you, I want you to courageously lift your hand and say, that's me today. Yep, the majority of us. Yep, the majority of us. I love that. I want to pray for you today. Just, if you will, lift your hands for just a minute. It's just a sign of surrender. That's all it is. Don't worry. We're not going to hit you. Just keep your eyes closed for a minute. I want you to lift your hands and I want you to just, this is what matters to him. It doesn't matter all the singing and all the preaching and all. This moment, your heart matters to him. He loves you. He sees you. He knows what's going on that nobody knows what's going on. And he is the only solution to the problem you are facing and the question that you have. And so I want us to say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my focus. I give you my, my, my attention. Lord, you began it and you're going to finish it. And so I surrender my life to to you. I want you to say this with me, Lord Jesus. My eyes are on you. I will not be distracted by fear, injustice, and self-preservation. Your face is the safest place. I surrender to you in Jesus' mighty name. If you raised your hand to give your life to Christ or you were rededicating, I want to just pray for you for just a minute. And I know I'm taking a minute, but I want to make sure we don't lose anybody in the mix. Can we pray this? Because we're all people of faith. Or if we're here, I mean, I think we can pray this because we, it's either just a statement of faith or it's actually a new prayer. But I want us to say this, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and taking my sin and my shame on you, that I could receive forgiveness, healing, and deliverance. I want you to be Lord of my life. I surrender to you. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. Say it again, all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Give God a clap. We love you, Jesus. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com and click give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.